Um, today's message is entitled Esther and End Time Events. Esther and End Time Events. How many people were here last week? Raise your hand. Okay, last week we began a study in the book of Esther. Today we'll conclude this two-part series in the book of Esther. And we're going to be taking a look at end time events and the book of Esther. Why don't we bow our heads for a word of prayer and thank the Lord for those showers of blessings. Father in heaven, right now we want to thank you for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Lord, this last Wednesday we were learning about the early rain and our need of it as well as the latter rain. God, you said, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Bless us with the Holy Spirit. God, we need power from heaven. We need what only you can truly give. That you may be glorified through our weak lives. Thank you so much for your word. Bless us as we open it up. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, make sure you have your Bibles for today. Esther and end time events. Esther and end time events. You know, it's very interesting. Um, Many of you guys know that I take a few classes at Stan State. And uh, (laughs) I had to take a class this semester. It's required for my major. It's called Gender and Sexuality um, with reference to um, the Middle East. I didn't want to take the class. Um... And so I ended up having to take the class, unfortunately, this semester. And so I took the class, and it was so interesting. The teacher is an atheist. He is somebody who does not believe in God. And he lets people know that. He also is somebody that's been on the Bill Meyer show. Have you guys heard of uh, Bill Meyer? You guys heard of him? Do you guys know the name of his show? Politically Incorrect. I think that was the old name. Maybe it's still the same name. But he is somebody who's an atheist as well, okay? And so, this teacher is actually well known. He's considered one of the most foremost authorities on the Middle East still to this day. And he teaches at Stan State, of all places. And uh, so anyways, he asked a question yesterday. Yesterday. And this was his question, okay? He says, today I'm going to be talking about Islam. I said, okay. And he said, I'm going to be discussing... How in Islam, and not just Islam, Christianity and Judaism, how the male picture of God found in these religions encourages the sexism that is still present today. And he said, what do you think about that? And it's at these moments that I just start praying and I put my head down and I say, Lord, guard my mouth right now. Guard my mouth. And I sit way in the back like a bad student, okay? I sit way in the back and I'm like, it's, it's better for me not to talk, okay? Now imagine if a teacher said that to you, and you were in that class, and he says, I want you to talk about how the maleness of God encourages the sexism that is present today. What would you say? Now before you answer, many of the students immediately raised their hand and said, that's absolutely right. Many people said, one of the reasons why there is sexism today, there is a gender bias, that's why males are considered greater than females in our current society, why they're suppressed, is because of religion. And they begin to go after this religion, and that religion, and this religion, and they begin to go after Christian religion, and it's that moment that I'm sitting in the back, and I'm like, And I'm listening to this, and finally I raised my hand, I said, okay, I'm going to raise my hand now, I can't hold anymore. 
open my mouth and I would say, Lord, be with my mouth. And I said these words. I said, you know, it's very interesting. When you actually study out the Old Testament, you find there are actually female attributes that are given to God. And I said, regardless of the attributes that have been given to God, found in Scripture, people have chosen to emphasize solely the male attributes of God to encourage sexism. And I said, I do agree with that part. Unfortunately, people take um, characteristics of God without taking the whole picture of God, and they can use it sometimes in a very, very negative way. And then I give them another example. I say in Hinduism, they have female goddesses, female gods, and yet sexism still takes place there. So it's not so much the religion, it's how people are interpreting the data and then what they're choosing to emphasize on. And so as soon as I finished with my long tirade, everyone was looking at me. I was like, this is so awkward right now. The teacher then says, oh, yeah, right. We don't believe that. He's like, everyone wants to come out with their feminist Christianity version of the Bible. And I I was just like... (sighs) (laughs) Okay. And then somebody raises their hands. Okay. They raise their hand and they say, yeah, I don't agree with that. When you actually take a good look at what the Bible says, the Bible says, God says, I will make a helper for Adam. Eve came out of the rib of Adam, showing that God um, really promotes sexism. And I was like, only in the English it says, help me. Okay? And I started raising my hand. And I said, did you know when you read that word helper in the book of Genesis, when God says, I will make a helper for Adam, 16 times that appears in the Old Testament as military aid? I said that to him. And then he, the teacher said, well, where else do you see these female characteristics of God? When you read Genesis chapter 1, what does the Bible say? Male and female, he made them. In the image of God, he made them, right? In fact, when you actually study out the Holy Spirit, there is, in the Hebrew, certain words that have more of a female attribute. And so, I was sharing this, and then somebody raises their hand and they said, Yeah, when you read 1 Corinthians, it says that women should not be able to teach. And then the teacher turned to me and says, what do you think about that? (laughs) And I I made this kind of smirk remark. I said, I feel like I'm in a Bible class. And everyone started laughing. (laughs) So anyways, so at that moment I said, well, when you take a good look at holy writings, any holy writings, it is incorrect hermeneutics to take a verse and make it a doctrinal teaching. I said, anybody who studies out the Bible understands this concept. You don't just take a verse and say, this is now a doctrinal teaching of the church. Well, it went back and forth. And finally, I did something. I really believe the Lord led in here, led in this moment. I took out this book that we have been required to read. It's called Guests of the Sheik. And it describes an American woman that lived in an Iraqi village. And what she encounters... She encounters some of the same prejudices and norms and dynamics in that society that, are, that were present probably during the time of Christ as well. And so I said, when you take a look at this book, even Jesus in his uplifting of women probably violated the dynamics that are in this Middle Eastern culture. I said, when you take a good look at the life of Jesus, notice how he interacted with women. 
He did so many things to uplift women from the way current society um, taught um, how they regarded women. Think about the woman that was about to be stoned. And I brought that example out. I said, in that culture, where was the male who was caught in adultery? I said, you think about Mary Magdalene, when one of his own disciples rebuked her because she decided to spend her wealth on honoring Jesus. And I brought up these various, various examples, and it's that moment that the teacher stopped talking about Christianity. <laughs> you know, and I realized something. You know, unfortunately, we do have to deal, when we're defending the name of Christ, we do have to deal with a lot of medieval Christianity that's mixed in to Christianity of the Bible, Right? And sometimes we always have to just navigate and say, no, that's not what the Bible teaches. This is the truth. But when you begin to present the picture of Jesus, amen? You present the picture of Jesus. He is the ultimate example. And that's what I told him. I said, look, when you want to look at the founder of Christianity, look at him. And he would have violated the norms even in this book. And I want you to understand something. This is so amazing. We follow somebody who set the example, and that's Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? Now, why am I bringing this up? Because it was very relevant when I came across this quote that I shared last week. This is what Ellen White says right here. Daughters of God. In ancient times, the Lord worked in a wonderful way through what? Consecrated women who united in his work with men who he had chosen to stand as representatives. He used what? Women to gain great and decisive victories more than once and in times of emergencies. He brought them to the what? Front and worked through them for the salvation of many lives. Through Esther the queen, the Lord accomplished a mighty what? For his people. Can you say amen to that? And women, can you say amen to that? It should be louder from the women. By the way, in that class, I forgot to mention this point, one of the other students who happened to be either a Muslim or Christian, I'm not sure, towards the end, and she says, she kind of brings it up, it was kind of irrelevant at the moment, we were talking about something else, and she says, oh, and by the way, did you know that God created Eve last because she was to be the best and part of creation? And I was like, oh, I said, I'll work with that, you know, she's on my side, you know, anyways. Um... But here's the thing. Sometimes there's a time to keep shut. And sometimes there's a time to open your mouth. Can you say amen to that? Especially when the name of the Lord is at stake. Right? All right. Now we're going to continue with our message today. Again, it's called Esther and End Time Events. Here we see how God used a woman like Esther. Remember last week we learned two important uh, facts about the book of Esther. Number one, the word God is not mentioned anywhere in the book of Esther. Do you remember that? And number two, we learned that Esther is the most widely mentioned female in all of Scripture. Number one, no mention of God in the book of Esther. Number two, Esther is mentioned more times in the Bible than any other female. And so when we go to the book of Esther, we begin to see what God is really doing. Sometimes God works in a very noisy, loud way. And then sometimes God works in the shadows, behind the scenes. God is an unsung hero. 
and he is uh, changing and guiding events to take place. And so when you're reading the book of Esther, you see this remarkable providence over and over and over again. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be taking a good look on how the book of Esther is symbolic and parallels end time events and what that means to us. What that means to us. Last week we also learned about Esther that she what? She obtained what was that? Grace and favor in his sight more than all the other what? Virgin. That's not a picture of Esther, right? That is a picture. It's supposed to be a picture of King Ashuerus, who historically was known as Remember? King Xerxes, right? King Xerxes is the first. And the one that would take King Xerxes' place would be Artaxerxes, who eventually signed the final decree that allowed the children of Israel to go back to Israel and rebuild those walls and those temples. And that is part of prophetic history. But it was what took place during the time of Esther that laid a good foundation for Artaxerxes to be able to make this decree. Because because of the blessings of the Jew in that time. Amen? Amen. Alright, now how do we understand the book of Esther when it comes to end time events? There are major characters in the book of Esther. And as I begin to flush this out, you're going to start thinking and you're going to start attaching these names or characters to end time movements. Okay? These characters represent, what was that? End time what? Movements. Amen? Amen. Okay, here it is. Number one, you learn about the Jews. Now, what's so interesting about the Jews in the book of Esther, the Jews were those that were taken out of their homeland and they were essentially considered the remnant. Many times when you're reading the book of, like uh, any of the major prophets, they're talking about the remnant. These Jews were the remnant of Israel. They were the what? Remnant of Israel. And they were in Shushan and in different parts of the land. Number two, King Ashuras, also known as Xerxes, represented a civil what? Power. He represented a what? Civil power, right? And whenever he wrote a law, it could not be revoked according to the law of the Medes and what? Persians. Okay, now pay attention to this, okay? Number one, you have these Jews, the remnant, literal Israel. And then you have a civil power by the name of King Ashuerus. Number two, you have, or number three, sorry about that, you have a man by the name of Haman. And something's interesting about Haman. Haman is somebody who happens to be close to the king, and this man wants people to worship him. He wants what? He wants people to worship him. The Bible tells us when Haman would go into town, according to the king's commandment, everyone would have to bow down and pay homage. That phrase, bow down, appears in reference to various kings. But that phrase, those two words, bow down and homage, only appear in the Old Testament in reference to worshiping God alone. So here we have a situation. You have this man who represents in a kind of way a religious power. He wants people to bow down and what? 
pay homage to him, right? Number four, Haman is married to a very shadowy figure, and that's what we'll call her. Shadowy figure. And not because she's a woman, amen? (laughs) Okay, we already established that part in the beginning, right? She's a shadowy figure because she tends to give... Now, this is where it starts getting interesting. She gives Haman advice on how to deal with the Jews. You hear what I'm saying? In your mind, as we continue to flesh this out, you're going to start putting puzzle pieces together, okay? So number one, we have the remnant. Number two, we have a civil power. Number three, we have a religious power, which is close to the king. Number four, we have somebody married to this religious power. And by the way, she is the one that recommended the gallows, or the place where you hang people, for the Jews. She's somebody who comes in and out of this story, connected to the religious power. And as she begins to lend her influence, something strange is going on. She's giving very, very unusual, malicious advice to this king, or to Haman. Let's continue. Number five, Mordecai. Someone who was a faithful follower of God. This man would not bow down or worship any or Haman. So whenever Haman would go into town and command everyone to bow down and worship him, Mordecai would stand there and he would refuse to bow down to this man. The Bible tells us that Mordecai was a Jew. He wasn't just any kind of Jew. He was somebody who was faithful to who? God. Do you want to know why he wouldn't bow down to him? Because the first commandment says what? (laughs) Thou shall have no other That's exactly right The second commandment says what Thou shall not make unto thee any graven image Nor shall thou bow down to them Right And so here, here Haman is Everyone's bowing down and worshipping this man And here Mordecai is This faithful follower of God And he refuses to bow He knows To do this is to sin against his God. Mordecai isn't someone who's just this rebellious, obnoxious person. He is somebody who recognizes my first loyalty is to God and God alone. Now this could have been very scary for someone like Mordecai who happened to work for the king. And you have Haman who's in a higher position. And he's commanding them to bow down and worship. And yet Mordecai stands there because what's more faithful to his well, he is more faithful to God than he is to his work. Amen? Let's continue to flush this out. Number six. Then you read the story about who? Esther, who happened to be an intercessor for the what? Remnant. Do you remember the story? Do you remember how they said, hey, pray for us, Esther, uh, please help us out. And Esther goes in before the king, and before she goes into the king, what does she put on? Royal robes, right? She puts on royal robes and she goes into the... Where was the king located? The inner court of the king, right? And he, she did something which was supposed to be against the what? Do you remember what happened to the first queen? It was the law that she came in, right? And she refused. And the second time, Esther goes in. She goes in with the royal robes. And she intercedes for the entire Jewish race. And they are what? Saved. 
Now, this is where we begin to learn some interesting things. Okay? Here it is. What's so interesting about this, Esther chapter 3, verse 1. Notice what the Bible says about Haman. Remember, Haman was somebody who was a what? A kind of religious power. He wanted people to worship him. Notice what the Bible says right here. King Ashuerus promoted who? Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite. Now, this is interesting. You ready for this? This is going to blow your mind away. Haman was of what ethnicity? Agagite, right? Now, what's so interesting about the Agagites were that in a previous book, there was somebody who was told to destroy all the Agagites. Do you know who that was? King Saul. Now, what is interesting is that Mordecai is from the tribe of Benjamin. He's the great-grandson of, the, of Kish. Do you know who Kish was? He was the father of King Saul. And King Saul was commanded to wipe out all of these people who were threats to the Jews. He failed to do this. Okay, notice now, pay attention. This is where it starts getting interesting. He failed to carry on a work in the past. You hear what I'm saying? Because he failed to do a work in the past. Generations later... This man, Haman, rose up and he had a big problem with the Jews. And do you know what he wanted to do? He wanted to destroy the Jews. Are you tracking with me so far? Where the tribe of Benjamin had failed years ago in doing a work they were supposed to do. Generations later, they now had to deal with an even greater and bigger threat to all of God's people. Let's continue. Notice what the Bible says right here. And advanced him and set his seat above all the princes. And all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed down and paid what? Homage to Haman. For so the king had commanded concerning him. Now notice what the Bible says right here. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay homage, Haman was filled with what? Notice this, okay? When this man, Mordecai, a faithful follower of God, someone who keeps the commandments, refuses to bow down to him, bow down and worship him, Haman goes into the king a little bit later, same chapter, and notice what happens here. Then Haman sent to King Asherah, there is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. There what? Laws are different from all other Peoples. Let's continue. And they don't keep the king's laws. In other words, what he was telling them was that these people have laws that are different from civil laws. They are disobedient to these civil laws. Let's continue. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. If it pleases the king, let a decree be written. Now notice this. That they may be what? Destroyed. Now notice what he says right here. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work to bring it into the king's what? Notice what Haman is saying right here. He's saying, look, let me destroy these people. And when I destroy these people, the way I'll do about it is by blessing you economically. I will bring money into the king's treasury. 
Okay. Our puzzle pieces starting to come together right now. I'm going to recap. Here you have the remnant in this area. They're dealing with a civil power who generally leaves them alone. But what takes place is there is a man who is advancing in the kingdom. His name is Haman. He wants everyone to worship him, right? And he has a shadowy wife, right? She's sketchy. She's somebody who's giving him advice on how to deal with these people. And so what happens is this, is when Haman is not worshipped the first time, he then issues a death decree. He issues a what? He tries to get what passed by the king. Notice this. This power influences the king to pass a what? Death decree. Right? A death decree that would destroy all these what? Jews. Okay? Now we're fleshing this out. You're going to start seeing this come together. Okay? And... He promises him that if he does this work, that he will make sure money will go into the what? The king's treasure box. And here you begin to understand something. What it is, is this. Is what happened to spiritual Israel in this one area will happen in a large scale Timeline, large-scale dynamics at the end of time with spiritual Israel. You hear what I just said? What happened with literal Israel during this time will happen on a large scale with spiritual Israel. Notice what's interesting about Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. The Bible says this, And the dragon was what? Enraged with the woman. He went to make what? War with the rest of the other offspring who keep the what? Commandments of God and have the testimony of what? Jesus. Revelation chapter 12 ends with this idea that the devil is angry. The word is enraged. He's upset. Who is he upset at? A group of people who are choosing to keep the what? Ten Commandments. And do you know what he does to deal with these people? You read Revelation chapter 13 and you find out Through these two powers that would rise up, one that would command worship and one that would attempt to enforce that worship with a death decree. And those who choose not to follow God, they will be able to what? They will be able to buy or sell. Now, do you remember what I said to you earlier? Because of the tribe of Benjamin and their failure to deal with these people, these other movements in the past, they now had to deal with them in an even greater and more dangerous way. Ladies and gentlemen, the gospel should have gone out a long time ago. The work should have been finished already. Now I know somebody's going to say, wait a minute, then I shouldn't have been alive. I want you to think about this. How many people have suffered and died and a sin has been allowed to continue? This work should have been done already. You see, there was a time when the church had an opportune moment. 
And they failed to jump up and grab that opportunity, but instead they waited it out. And do you know what happens? Years later, we're going to be dealing with it in an even greater way. Ladies and gentlemen, when you study out the books over the book of prophets and kings, there is a correlation that is made with the book of Esther and end time events. The Bible tells us that one day a power will try to enforce all over the world a form of worship and that those who violate this will be part or will be sentenced to death. Now what is so amazing is as in that book of Esther, one woman rose up to the top and she is somebody who interceded on behalf of Israel. So we will have an intercessor and his name is Jesus. Can you say amen to that? He not only intercedes for us now, but when we start going through those little time of troubles, when we start dealing with these events that are starting to take place, what's going to be so interesting is that God will watch over his people. He will make sure their bread and water are sure. Can you say amen to that? Now what's interesting is this. Many people have this idea. This idea that it's going to be this person or this political leader or that individual that's going to bring about these laws. And here's where we need some correction. Here's what the book Great Controversy says right here. That rulers and legislators, in order to secure public favor, will what? Yield to, for what? For a law enforcing what? Sunday observance. Now, this is where there's been so much mistake. Unfortunately, we have set up in our church a dynamic where we have turned into conspiracy theorists. We have turned into witch hunters. We have turned into this idea that anytime there's a political figure who says something about Sunday, all of a sudden we think to ourselves, they must be bringing in the Sunday law. And that is completely wrong. The book Great Controversy teaches that it will be a democratic movement that will bring about these laws. Are you tracking with me, yes or no? We need to really get out of this idea. Now many people say, wait a minute, what about that person, that person? Let me tell you something. Over the last hundreds of years, there has been individuals who have always wanted a Sunday law. Did you know that? This is something that shouldn't be a surprise to us. There are senators that sometimes say, hey, we should have a Sunday law. There are other individuals that say, we should have a Sunday law. There are religious figures that say, we should have a Sunday law. And we shouldn't be alarmed by these things. It is the movements of the people that should alarm us. Are you tracking with me, yes or no? It is trends within society that should alarm us. That when we start seeing this large-scale group of people start demanding for these things, that is time for us to say, there's a problem. But just because we see one individual say this or one individual say that, let's get away from this idea. Ladies and gentlemen, this will continue all the way to the end. Amen? Am I making sense so far? Please say amen. The Bible tells us, that those who dwell on earth will make this. There will be a wide-scale movement of bringing about these laws that will eventually persecute God's people. It's not going to be one single individual. In fact, it is mainstream Christianity that has really promoted this idea. It's a single person, or it's a, a dark 
tyrant who lives behind the scenes who is trying to bring about or some Illuminati nonsense stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, it will be people that will demand of their leaders, we want these laws. And when we start seeing this wide-scale demand, that's the time for us to say, wait a minute, now we need to be concerned. But just because this person says this, or this person happens to be visiting America, or this is going on, that doesn't faze me. It's when I start seeing crowds and mobs saying, this is what we want, that's when I say, all right, it's time. But until then, don't be alarmed. Don't be frightened. We know what these prophecies are teaching. We can be wise and smart and intelligent about these things. But in the particular situation of the book of Esther, you find it's when a death decree was upon all of the Jews. Something remarkable happened. One woman, one woman by the name of Esther, she was the one that was called to intercede for God's people. Mordecai says something very interesting. He was somebody who was aware of this death decree. He immediately sends a message to Esther. And here's probably the most pivotal verse of the book of Esther. And this is what the message says to Esther during this time this death decree was going out. Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than the other Jews. For if you remain, what? Completely silent at this time. Notice what he says next. Relief and deliverance will arise for them Jews for where? Okay, notice what Mordecai is saying. Let's put pause right here. He is saying, look, God's purposes cannot be thwarted. Amen? God's purpose was to see that the Jewish lineage would continue and the Messiah would come from that. Mordecai says, I, I know God's purpose. God's purpose is to see the Jewish people make it to the very end. But now he introduces an element. Notice this element he introduces. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But notice what he says, but you and your father's house will perish. Do you know there's a big difference between God's purposes and God's will? You see, God's purposes are things that he has personally orchestrated and that he will personally see to its fulfillment. And then there is God's will. What's God's will? It's God's desire for your involvement. Did you know that God's purposes can never be thwarted? Amen? But did you know God's will can be thwarted? Do you know God's will for you is to be saved? The Bible says God is willing that none should perish. But let me ask you a question. Is every, is there, are there going to be people who perish? Absolutely. Notice what he is saying to Esther. He is saying, look, God's purpose is going to be accomplished. We're going to make it through the end. God's going to deliver the Jewish people. But then he says, God's will though is for you to be involved in this deliverance. And he says this. He then adds the consequence of not doing God's will. And he says, but you can choose not to do God's will. But if you don't choose to do God's will, there is going to be a penalty or a casualty. What's the casualty? Not only would she perish, but who would end up perishing? Her father's house would perish. Which means not just her relative but her future posterity. You see, 
God's will, God's purpose is to come back. Amen? Nothing's going to stop that. Amen? Can someone stop the second coming from happening? No. But guess what? God's will is for you to be involved in making that happen. To play a role in that. Amen? But guess what? That is where your choice comes in. That's where your choice comes in. You can choose not to do this. But unfortunately, when we choose not to do God's will, the casualty is that not only may we be lost, but other ones may be lost as well. And I love how he adds this final phrase, almost like just saying, oh, and by the way, i got to say this one last thing. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. He then lays out something to her and says, and by the way, who knows if you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. And what he's trying to do, he's trying to communicate something to her. He says, perhaps you have been given this privilege, this opportunity to be here at this moment in this position to act, to do something. Ladies and gentlemen, many times we think to ourselves, if this could change or that can change, you are where you need to be right now. Amen? That's so hard. Sometimes we have to swallow that and say, Amen? You are where you need to be right now. Amen? Oh man, this does not sound like you guys believe that. You are where you need to be right now. Do you know what God was trying to communicate something to Esther? He's like, you don't need a change of circumstances. You need a change of heart. And so this, this powerful thought comes to Esther. And by the way, you know what Esther does? As soon as she hears this, she then says this. This is exactly how the words go. She says, well, not exactly, I'm not quoting, but this is her response. She says, tell Mordecai this. Tell him to go to the Jews for fast for three days. Then we and my maids, me and my maids, will go and we will fast for three days. Then I will go to the king, and if I perish, I perish. You know what that sounds like? An immediate response to the call of God. She's just like this. She's like, who knows whether you come to a time for such a time as this. She's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. You tell Mordecai, my uncle, this is what he needs to do. She starts giving orders to Mordecai. Tell Mordecai, he needs to tell the other Jews they need to start fasting. Me and my maids, my maids and I, excuse me, will go to, will go and we will fast for three days. And then I will go to the king. Immediately you see this response to the call of God. As soon as the call of God is upon her, she's not saying, well, just wait another day. She's like, okay, this is what we need to do. Boom, 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 bam, bam, we're in. She even says, I'm willing to die. So many times the call of God comes upon us and we're just like, yeah, I'm not sure about this. I'm really not sure. But guess what? Who knows whether you've come into the kingdom for such a time as this. Now I'm going to read something that's going to blow your mind away. It took me a while to really take this in. Not that part. Here it is. Mordecai, notice what happens with the deliverance of the Jews. So Mordecai went out from the presence. This is after the Jews were delivered. Notice what happens. Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and what? White with a great crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and purple. The city of Shushan rejoiced. Now notice this. And was glad. The Jews had what? 
Light and gladness, joy and what? You know why this is so amazing? The Jews were exalted. But just a few years years later after this moment, King Ashwaras would be executed by his own bodyguards. You're like, okay. (laughs) The point is this. The time that the Jews had great light and glory and honor, and even says this, many of the people of the land became Jews because the fears of the Jews fell upon them. At this time, that the Jews were exalted, God's people were exalted, and people were saying, we want to be Jews. There was great political instability. You hear what I just said? At a time that God began to exalt these Jews... There was a time of political instability. It was like the only thing that seemed to be on solid rock at that time were God's people. To the point where people all around towns were just like, we want to be these Jews. We want to be just like them. We want to know about their God. You see, because of one woman's faithfulness, because she realized the times that she was living in, she realized the providence of God that had brought her where she was at. She says, I'm going to act. I'm going to do what God's calling me to do. And when she did it, not only were the Jews saved, many other people were saved as a result of that. Can you say amen to that? The Jews had light and glory, gladness. They were happy too after that deliverance. Can't blame them, right? You're about to be killed. You're saved. Praise the Lord, right? Now here's a quote that's going to blow your mind away. Found in the spirit of prophecy. We were brought into existence because we were needed. We were brought into existence because we were needed. Amen? There's a role... And a purpose that God has for the human race. And you play a role. You play a part in that. God's going to see this through the end. It's His purpose that will not be defeated. But His will is for you to be part of that. You could have been born 200 years ago. You could have been born in the 1900s. You could have been born during the time of Christ. You could have been born during the time of Moses. But guess what? You were born in this time for such a time as this. Amen? For such a time as this. And guess what? God wants your commitment. God wants your sacrifice. God wants your position. God wants your giving. God wants your influence. God wants your talents. God wants you to step it up. Amen? You were brought for such a time as this. We were created because we were needed. But many times we can choose at that moment just say, you know what, I'm going to walk away. I'm going to go somewhere else. But guess what, that's not God's plan. Can you imagine someone like Esther? She was somebody who didn't get to even know her parents. And yet here she was. She now was adopted by her uncle. Who seems not to even have a family of his own. Or at least not indicated. And now here Esther, she's thrust into this situation where now she is part of this whole unusual dynamic. Here she is, she's not even knowing what's going on, confused about the purposes and plans for her life. And yet, when the answer comes, or when the the call comes, who knows whether God has brought you for such a time as this? She immediately responds, and it leads to the salvation of the Jews and many other people. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Who knows whether you have come into God's kingdom in this generation for such a time as this. So what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? How are you going to respond? When your position is needed, when God needs you to act, when God needs you to speak, when God needs you to give, when God needs you to work, what will be your response? Will you stand back and say, somebody else can do it? Ladies and gentlemen, understand something. Esther made a choice. And because she could have said no to that choice, but guess what? If she did, not only would she have been the casualty, but her family, her future would have been the casualty as well. God has called you for such a time as this. And He's calling for your commitment. He's calling for your faithfulness. He's calling for your loyalty. This isn't the time to say, well, I'll go back later. I'll do this somewhere else. I'll go somewhere else. God is saying, now, for such a time as this, you are here. Not some other generation, but this generation. You're here in this area for a reason. For such a time as this. And now people, by the raising of their hands, say, I want to be like Esther. I want to act upon the calling God has given to me. Praise the Lord. Lord will bless you. Let's bow our heads right now. Father in heaven, we thank you that there are books written about these faithful men and women. And Lord, who knows what is being written about our generation. But God, we pray as your providence has brought us here, even this church, may we be faithful to this calling, Lord. May we accept the challenge to speak, to work, to give, to act for your cause. Lord, help us not to back away. You have blessed us with so many privileges. Father in heaven, let us rise up to this challenge. I pray, God, for your people right now. Like Esther, at this moment, God, that this would be their finest hour. When it seems the world is falling apart, may they stand for you and for your cause, for your church. This is our prayer. In the name of Jesus, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.